Hello, I'm Jem and I'm a professor of sustainability leadership and uh, recently known for writing a paper called Deep Adaptation and uh, being involved a bit in Extinction Rebellion. I was one of the uh, lead signatories of the letter from academics in October 2018 that called for call for people to rebel in order to really challenge our system on climate change and get a climate emergency declared. So I'm at a festival giving a talk on deep adaptation uh, and we've, we've uh, it's been quite sensitive emotionally uh, because uh, the, it starts from a perspective where despite all what people have been doing around the world to stop or at least slow down climate change things have been getting worse and worse and now we're at a stage where people are suffering around the world hundreds of species are going extinct every day and now we ourselves in the west are in danger because of the way extreme weather is impacting on our own uh, food supply and we live such fragile lives all dependent on supermarkets and confidence in the global financial system just to be able to live day to day so there's that shock there's that as well as the grief there's the fear and then what do we do about it uh, and so we've been talking about that here today this is a, a Buddhist festival so I'm I'm not doing many talks anymore uh, but I accepted this invitation because for me Waking up to the tragedy of climate change has been a real um, difficult emotional thing for me and really challenged my, all my sort of stories of self about uh, someone who can make a real big impact in the world, someone who's a responsible person. Um, and then suddenly all those stories fell apart as I looked at the latest climate science. So that uh, some psychologists call positive disintegration and uh, for me Buddhist philosophy and Buddhist practices uh, um, I knew about them but I never really I never really explored them before but I think they're really helping me to be with the pain be with the emotional pain of both suffering around the world and the the sense of, of threat to my own life and those of the people I love um, that risk uh, yeah and 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 be able to be with it rather than just try and fix it quickly by getting active getting you know so, so often when we have difficult emotions we want to fix them somehow and we move immediately into action with something you know, must do something so I'm very much about action uh, and I love being creative and thinking about what to do but I think Buddhism and its emphasis on recognizing impermanence and flow and change and mortality and living with that knowledge day to day and helping that shape our lives is quite important to me. So that's why I chose to, uh, to come to this, this festival and uh, talk to people who know a lot more about this than me. So, um, Extinction Rebellion now is a global movement and 
it's very focused on getting people together to put pressure on government to cut carbon emissions. So the first demand is to tell the truth. And I think in some ways the truth is, is more difficult than what's often said uh, by people involved in exile. Because it, the truth for me is not a case of let's act now before it's too late. Um, the truth is that people are suffering from climate chaos already right now around the world and increasingly so. We've been insulated from it, but no longer. When I say we, I mean people living in affluent countries. Uh, so we're now in danger. And no matter what we do now, uh, there's trouble ahead with the way extreme weather will disturb our both international and domestic agricultural systems uh, and lead to all sorts of problems. In complex societies, we don't know how that will unfold, um, but there's certainly a certain amount of trouble ahead. And what this means is, another part of the truth, is that our systems have failed us. Um, unless we realise that, we, we risk not really looking deeply into why we've got into this mess. And when I say systems, I mean economic systems, political systems, belief systems. The way we imagine progress, the way we imagine the future, the way we think about what is right and wrong. So another aspect of my truth that, um, that I would encourage other people in XR to think about is, is that uh, we need to adapt fairly. It's not just about um, cutting carbon emissions or drawing down carbon from the atmosphere. It's also a very difficult conversation about, um, you know, if at Britain, for example, we import 60% of our food uh, and we haven't had a food security policy or strategy or review uh, in the UK for about 10 years. Um, very vulnerable to, with, to uh, weather shocks to agriculture around the world. There's going to be difficulties and we need to adapt and we need to adapt fairly. And the problem is, if we don't recognize that soon, um, uh, we'll find that, mal you know, Malnan will have more people going hungry in the UK, and then what will that lead to? Um, it will be understandable if that leads to cr more crime. But then, of course, what will that lead to? That will lead to greater fear and uh, people turning inward and... Um, perhaps wanting more authoritarian government and so on. So we have to start planning now to adapt fairly. And when I say fairly, we've got to realise that um, this is a matter of justice as well in terms of uh, how resources are distributed. Um, so for the second demand of acting now, I think... Uh, We need um, a climate emergency to include adaptation. So the cl it's, it's meaningless in some ways for a climate emergency declaration from a government not to recognise how bad things already are and to include urgent and fair adaptation to what's, what's coming because of climate change. We need to change in order to uh, protect food, water and, and the international order as much as we can.
And so that means a citizens' assembly, so demand three, a citizens' assembly must not only be about looking at how uh, we decarbonise rapidly, but also how we're going to adapt fairly. And within that, the remit has to be covering the economic system as well. We're at this predicament we're in, after 30-odd years of people trying to do something about um, environmental destruction and climate change, um, this isn't an accidental occurrence. This is because of the economic system we have, based on bank-issued debt being our source of money and that creating the necessity for economic growth and everything that creates in terms of the way that money then influences our way of looking at the world uh, with advertising and marketing and how also the role of money in the media and in politics. So we have to have a look at the economic system that has to be within the remit as well of any citizens' assembly. And of course Ex Extinction Rebellion is fantastic for how it's brought such, uh, such awareness about climate, the climate predicament. And it did that through not listening to all the old stories about how to, how to work on environment and how to engage people. Um, and so it, its theory of change for non-violent direct action is very important. So for me, what's really important about that is it believes in um, non-violence causing economic disruption, being highly participatory so people can get involved in all kinds of ways, but in non-violent direct action. It believes in um, the strategy is to, or the theory of change is to not just be a flash in the pan on one day, but actually to stay and keep active over a period of time and therefore to become headline news and to have so many arrests as well that then the, uh, the, the law and order system fears for being overwhelmed and therefore tells government we really need to respond to this. And so with the media lens on the government as well, that sort of creates a crisis moment. And the demands, the key thing is that the demands are directed at government. And I think that in April we saw the power of that approach. But non-violent direct action, I think, needs the element of surprise. And so, when the state know you're coming, when your enemies know you're coming, when people who want to hijack or subvert what you're doing um, know what's coming, uh, then you lose that element of surprise. And also the media, um, if you're doing the same thing again and again, um, it's not really a story. So, uh, yeah, I think um, creativity around targets and methods um, is important and so uh, in the UK context at least with the uh, with the confusion in terms of who's going to be in power in October and for how long and whether Parliament's sitting or not um, I think it's a good time to rethink uh, targets for non-violent direct action and uh, not change the focus on government in terms of demands but actually rethink uh, you know, where the rebels should go. So connecting back with what I was saying about um, real power 
that must transform being in the economic system and in the monetary system uh, if we're to have any chance of curbing emissions or adapting fairly to what's coming um, I think we could direct efforts at economic disruption at that centre of power so that uh, in Europe that's the ECB, the European Central Bank in the world that's the Bank of International Settlements in Switzerland and in the UK that's the Bank of England and then of course the major private financial centres so the City of London and Canary Wharf and people who have been activists for a while will know that that's what Occupy Wall Street was about but their demands were not as clear and directed as government as XR. So if XR decided to attempt to um, blockade the City of London or the Bank of England, perhaps coordinated with uh, actions, similar actions in other financial centres around the world, but with demands on government, you know, we will not stop uh, until government declares a climate emergency, including adapting fairly to the situation and setting up a citizens' assembly on that, then um, that might be an interesting and meaningful, coherent uh, pivot, uh, given the political context and also trying to stay one step ahead of your critics and anyone who wants to uh, disrupt what you're doing. So, um, it's interesting times for XR because of its becoming a global movement. And... Uh, also, so much of what people are getting from it, uh, in some ways, has, no, has, has nothing to do with being arrested and nonviolent direct action. It's all the day-to-day -day organizing and people coming together. Someone told me that people come to XR because of fear, but they stay in it because of love. And, and it's those seven, I think it's the, the, the XR values, seven of the ten of those values are all about how we can better relate together, how we can be together better uh, in light of the, the difficulties ahead. And those are values and ways of being that matter no matter what you're doing or what's coming. So for me, that's, uh, that in itself is a theory of change. The way people gather together are open about their shock, their fear, their grief, uh, and the way people find connection and community uh, in uh, local XR groups. And I think it's, uh, it's important that the connection with political action is never lost, but really the connection between that community engagement and political transformation uh, is, is the beauty of XR. And uh, it's that which I, um, I'm really enthusiastic about going forward. What's really important is to realize that Extinction Rebellion is, is just part of an awakening. And uh, what's, I suppose the future of Extinction Rebellion doesn't really matter. What matters is that waking up. And so there are other things like the... Uh, the student strikes, the, the youth strikes, which are really important. And the question becomes, I think, 
for XR, how can they how can they help that? And the response from mainstream trade unions uh, to the uh, youth strike has been quite lukewarm. And in fact, traditionally, some trade unions have been a bit of a drag on uh, environmental innovation and transformation. So, um, yeah, maybe Extinction Rebellion could nudge trade unions to come out in favour of a general strike in support of, of children who are striking because of climate change. I know one of XR's first ever actions was to go and uh, pay, a, pay a friendly visit to Greenpeace. Um, maybe they could pay a friendly visit to the TUC or some of these other trade unions to say, come out and support the strikers. But, uh, but also, at the same time as it being inspiring to see children strike and take action, and it's important to support them in that, the ch these children, more than us, will have to live with this future. And so it, it doesn't seem entirely coherent for me that they spend their time only protesting uh, rather than spending their time being supported to learn to live with what's coming. And so I was wondering whether in future the climate strikes could involve taking time out of school to learn the kind of basic skills that will be needed given um, the likely disruption to the global economy and industrial consumer life as we know it. And they can be soft skills about working together in community, but also basic practical skills around growing your own food and basic electronics and so on. Stuff which people a few decades ago learnt at school, but don't anymore. Um, I think that's... I think that for me, the future of the um, youth strikes will need to include that adaptation aspect rather than just campaigning to get politicians to try and reduce carbon emissions. One of my concerns with any climate activism or environmental activism or social justice activism is it can set up a, a dichotomy, a, a division between us and them. And that can seem understandable. Like if you're not flying around the world, if you're not a multimillionaire, if you care about what's happening to the planet, and other people don't, other people seem to be causing the problem or not listening, people with power, it's very easy to have this us and them view. But the problem with that is then if it, if, if it leads to a lack of in communication and lack of invitation for people to join in, and the system that we live in, the economic system, the political system, with the media that we live in, it's so powerful, it permeates everything, that I think it has to hang itself. We need more people who are in banks, in reinsurance companies, in the civil service, in government, in elite research institutions. We need people in all those areas to rebel themselves. We need the system to hang itself. And uh, that's why I'm really pleased that Extinction Rebellion are launching uh, something called truthteller.life, which is basically a whistleblowing platform um, for the people uh, who know about how bad things are 
and the level of the, the danger we face. Um, you know, they might even be working simply uh, in a commodities company and have seen uh, reports or even co-written reports about the risk humanity now faces because of climate change. Or they might be in the reinsurance industry and uh, know what's happening with, with the premiums of, and, and the risk profiles of, of certain companies. That information needs to be in the public domain. We need, we need help from insiders to tell the truth to the general public to, to actually shift the whole of society. So, although um, grassroots activism is essential, uh, we must, uh, must be careful with any othering and any sense of alienation because we need to find ways of people joining the rebellion even from their desk at work.